Hi everyone, this is uh, Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and today I'm joined by my partner in crime, Shane Douglas Keene, and today we're going to be talking with Chad Lutsky, who has a new book out now through uh, Crystal Lake Publishing, The Pale White, and he's also written books like Stirring the Sheets, and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, The Same Deep Water as You, and Chad, we're happy to have you here and get to talk with you today. Yeah, Hi. thanks man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, anytime. Uh, we were real excited to uh, get to talk with you. Um, it's kind of interesting, Shane and I, we've each read a couple of your books, but we've each read different ones. Um, oh, okay. So I know I know today is the big release for The Pale White, and I was just curious about, you know, what kind of inspired you to take that sort of angle? I know it's a coming-of-age story, but it's got kind of a interesting and very very emotional backdrop to like how these you know girls know each other and the different hardships they go through and I was just wondering you know what inspired you to take that kind of angle on the coming of age story um you know I some stuff I have a really cool story to tell behind the genesis and some stuff I just when I when someone asked me uh, I draw a blank and I can't remember. And this is kind of one of those times. I, I think at the time I was wanting to, when I wrote A Foster Homes and Flies, I thought, okay, cool. I did my coming of age thing. And then, and then I did another book and it was like, okay, I got the coming of age thing out of me, you know, and it just kept going that way with, with the exception of like stirring the sheets. And I thought, well, I, you know, I, I guess this is who I am, whatever. I don't know. But I thought I, I should at least mix it up and um, use uh, some females. And uh, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know where the idea came from. I wish I need to start writing this down because that kind of stuff does make for really cool stories. Um, yeah, I can. And then sometimes, you know, I haven't published anything, but I've been writing for years and. Sometimes things just kind of start happening when you sit down to write, too. So, Yeah, for sure. I've written a lot of stuff where I just come up with a, an opening sentence that I think is sounds really intriguing enough for me to like go on to the next sentence. And I have no idea where I'm going. And then it just but I usually only do that with uh, like short stories. Usually with novellas, I'll have like an idea, um, a, you know, not not like the middle, but maybe the beginning and sometimes the end before I even start and then just kind of let stuff happen and start writing and see what happens. But, um, I can't, I can't remember. I wish I had something really cool to say about it. I bet it was, I mean, from, from a reader's standpoint, uh, the pale white was, um, a damn good book, but it is also, it's also exceptionally disturbing and kind of, you know, sometimes, uh, viscerally difficult, Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it makes it, it makes me wonder if it, if uh, at some at some points when you were writing, if it didn't fucking gut you. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uncomfortable. Just because I know that kind of thing happens, probably more a lot more than we know it does. And um, whereas you know, I mean, pretty much all of my stuff that I write, kind of to a certain extent either could happen or has happened, but this is a little bit different, more like on a global scale. Um, it deals with, uh, you know, I mean, I've written about heroin addiction and, and, and that was really bleak and everything, but I think this is, uh, this isn't a choice, you know, um, I mean, you, you could argue whether heroin addiction is a choice or not, but ultimately it starts that way. And, uh, but this, this isn't. So, you know, being uh, the whole sex trafficking and, and abduction thing, so I, I, I know that I'm a big fan of like indie films with like road trips, coming of age road trips, um, you know, self-discovery and stuff like that. And initially this was supposed to be more of a road trip slash revenge kind of thing where these girls had um, uh, they were actually going to be vampires and uh, not knowing it until they got out and uh, then they were going to have this, you know, be given this contact information of the people who wronged them and go on this West Coast road trip where they just uh, wreaked havoc on uh, everybody that did them wrong just to 
bloody, you know, revenge road trip thing. But and I wrote maybe I don't know a third of it like that, and then I just rewrote the whole thing, and then I rewrote it again because I changed the the uh, the tense. Yeah, that's kind of cool that um, you said that that it started out that way because Alex, she still has that yeah that sort of mindset and with it just being her it kind of stands out in a way and makes it a little bit more powerful that like she truly believes that you know she is a vampire and i thought that was pretty cool and too like with all of the characters you know alex uh, stasia and cammy they all have you know different ways of handling this you know terrible terrible situation they find themselves in but yeah like i i thought it was cool that you know you kind of kept part of that original kernel with alex yeah i thought it made for a a cool you know way for someone to kind of a a strange way for someone to maybe cope uh and have it match up with their lifestyle i mean they were basically nocturnal anyway and you know maybe being so i mean there's people out there that that aren't going through this that think they are vampires or would like to be vampires you know some of these uh, uh goth people who you know they'll drink blood and i'm sure you guys have seen yeah. that kind of stuff before oh, yeah um i mean there's a bit more reason for this it's you know it's kind of like a almost like a ptsd uh coping mechanism for her pardon me i was taking a drink of coffee <laughs> It's okay. Um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to play on that. More interesting than had you made them all vampires. Yeah. Yeah, and um, kind of tying into that too is how you said a lot of your work has tied into stuff that could happen or has happened. I I think that was a cool way to kind of. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but to kind of inject like a supernatural element into it without it having to be supernatural, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's more of just like a, I guess an idea, and I guess it's kind of ambiguous too, but um, but not really. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, the, the whole time she thinks this is who she is, again, you know, to to cope with this or whatever. And, and the, uh, the narrator Stacia, she, you know, kind of spells it out about, you know, that this is just her way of coping with things. And, you know, this isn't really how we are. And yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned ambiguity there. And that's, that's something that was interesting. I was going to bring up somewhere in our conversation. So segue working out for me. Um, is that the books that I have read by you, you, there seems to be a thread of ambiguity that kind of runs through all of them. Um, And I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of important to the genre in a way, you know, not to to embrace it to the point where, you know, people get pissed off because you didn't finish a story. Yes. But, But to leave a little bit of wonder in there, you know, really, really ramps up kind of the, the fantasy factor of the thing. Sure. I, I think that, um, you know, anything that you're doing creatively, uh, you know, making a movie or, or something like that, uh, particularly, I guess, uh, you know, making a film or, or writing a book or a story or something. Um, we tend to, to, to do what we I mean, some people kind of write to market and I guess just write what people want to uh, what they think what people want to want to read or what what's what's selling or whatever but i'm such a big fan of when i'm done with a movie or i'm done with a book and i don't have every single answer i love that you know it's like i almost have every answer but i get to walk away with a smile on my face taking that last bit and kind of making my own like what if or this probably happened but i'm not sure um you know i love you know, but there are people who don't like that. You know, like uh, when the Blair Witch came out, people hated it or they loved it. I love the fact that the last shot was some dude standing in a corner. I know? do too. And, you know, I just thought that was uh, kind of genius. But some people just hated it. They wanted it spelled out for them. You know, and 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 that's also. I don't know if that's the best argument because 
if you miss one single line in that whole movie, you won't even understand the the uh, the end at all anyway. That's so. absolutely right. You can you can walk out of the room for twenty seconds and you just ruin the whole movie for yeah, yourself. Ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's no, that's like the, you get that one line from that person being interviewed in town and that's all the like foreshadowing you're going to get. So you better listen. Exactly. Pay attention because this shit's going to get wild and (laughs) yeah. Uh, Yeah, And it's actually really brilliant the way they managed to connect all those little pieces together into that kind of um, cohesive whole that was actually for me, you know, very um clear at the end but Mm -hmm. uh but like you say if you didn't pay attention that wasn't going to be the case at all yeah if you're not paying attention you're going to be like why is that dude pissing in the corner (laughs) yeah what happened what happened to the rest of the film (laughs) yeah but i I really do love that i i can't think of any other examples like that but uh i'm just a huge i don't like spoon feeding and i do not like to be spoon fed i like to put pieces together myself i mean i don't want i'm not talking about like a completely convoluted pretentious thing like house of leaves or something but you know just give me enough to you know get there and uh kind of treat me like i'm smart you know let let me find my way yeah 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 Yeah. that kind of uh that kind of comes through in a lot of your works, you know, without spoiling any of them, you know, it's a full complete story, but you know, there's stuff, whether it be the ending or just certain aspects of the story where like the reader can kind of fill in their own blanks with it. Like, you know, with the pale white, like how did they all end up there? Or, mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. And I'm with you, with you guys. I think that, that's kind of the way to go. And that's the stuff that interests me is to kind of be able to, you know, have a complete story, but able to like kind of build off of it in my own mind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It sparks your own imagination. And I'm, and that's something, you know, like you say about not being spoon fed, I'm the same way. I hate being spoon fed. I want an author to give me a path and let me find my way down it sort of, you know, and you're you're really good at that. Another guy who's really good at that is um John Bowden. You know, you yes. tell me a complete story, but you don't treat me like I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, and that's even and you two together, it's like peanut butter and chocolate, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we definitely agree uh, on a lot, so it's easy to write with a guy. Uh, I can see where that would be. Um, you, you're kind of stylistically similar without being identical. Yeah, we have a lot of the, the same ideas. He's he's a lot more. His prose is a lot more uh, poetic for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of the some of the metaphors that he. I mean, I use some of that same stuff, but he uses a lot of it, and it's pretty beautiful. Um, so in that sense, we're you know we're different, but when you fuse it together, I, I, I think it's real cohesive. Yeah. And, but, and yeah, both of you are really good too at kind of doing completely different things every, every time that you write something like you guys did out behind the barn mm-hmm. together, together, um, very recently also, uh, which was a killer book. Um, thank that, you the ending completely gutted me, but that's where, you know, everyone online, you know, the term Lutsky tears, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's become, it's become like a standard term for finishing a Lutsky book is you're drowning in Lutsky tears, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that's something that you, you pull through uh, all of your books is that, um, that heavy, heavy, heavy emotion. Your books are, steeped with humanity thanks man i appreciate that i i sometimes wonder if people just think i'm this really depressed guy and uh i'm I'm not you know i mean i've i've just like anybody i've been through some some difficult times and i suppose i draw on those but um i don't know i i uh i don't really do it on purpose you know it's just uh i don't know why i do that you still, at the same time, I mean, you come out the back end and you it's not like you're all depressed and bummed out. You, 
you come out of the back end of a Chad Lutsky story with a sense of hope, too. Unless you read Wallflower. You know, yeah. <laughs> I haven't read that, but I have heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's – I haven't read that one yet, but um, when you were saying, you know, you wonder if people pick up on that, that's some of the things that I've liked about, you know, even the pale white and, and especially stirring the sheets, which was the first – the first uh, book I've read by you mm-hmm. is, you know, there's some very heavy stuff in there, but to me anyway, it doesn't feel like depressing. Like there's some heavy, heavy stuff in there, yeah. but it feels like through the characters journeys. And, you know, when you get to the end or what have you through their journey, there's always like a glimmer of hope. It's not just, you know, doom and gloom and, you know, everything sucks. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I mean, I definitely do that on purpose. Um, I'm not afraid to end it uh, on a bad note, really. Like, you know, I mean, Wallflower, I guess, would be proof of that. But I I also know that kind of no matter really who you are, there is a part of you that just wants that happy ending as cliche as it might be. You know, you're just you're rooting for this person. You want them to get this. And I just think that. I don't know. It's, 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 you get, for me anyway, I get more satisfaction out of that. Even if it's, even if the, you know, as long as the, the, the whole way getting there is a fun ride, even if the ending is kind of cliche and maybe, you know, wraps up and the guy gets the girl or whatever. Um, ultimately, I think a majority of people, that's what they want. You, you, like I said, even, even though it might be cliche. And I mean, there, there was, you know, there are some, I try not to make it too, much like that like the end of a foster homes and flies originally it was going to be a little bit different and it just felt and it, it that would be a huge spoiler but it would be it would have felt like too much happiness so i just uh you know and when there's too much happiness when everything completely wraps up um like and everything is just perfectly fine then that i think that that can kind of ruin it but i do think that 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 hope helps a lot and i think that for uh a lot of books, it just kind of, or, or, or films, it helps, you know. But like I said, if you're getting, put putting much, too much sugar on it, uh, that could ruin it. Absolutely. Um, definitely, I think that's the, that is um, the number one thing that can completely destroy a story is when you just pay, cover it all in sugar because that's just not what life is, even yeah, when things no. are going well. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm having a good day today, but some bad shit happened yesterday and some good stuff happened the day before. And then there's some bad stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. and that that's just life. So, yeah. And, that, and that's that's kind of what the whole book Pale White is about. It's like, you know, there's, you know, escaping this house, but ultimately, you know, they are. Uh, it, it's about finding freedom after you've found freedom. Because it's not, you know, when the freedom is there, it's kind of really not there. You know, there, there's these deep scars that are never going to go away, and the damage has been done. So it's trying to, you know, move on, trying to move on from there. Yeah, because it's like situationally, they kind of should be free right from the get-go almost. Yeah, but. like, you know, yeah, being super happy and running out, and it's just, it doesn't, I mean, I've never been through that kind of thing, but I, I know that. That that's not how it works. Nah, nah. Because um, like you like you said, you just take those scars with you and carry them everywhere you go forever. Yeah. Yeah, and that um that was one thing that I found, you know, very unique about the pale white. Without going too much into what happens, I thought that the book was going to go a certain way when I read, when I first heard about this from Crystal Lake, you know, the whole synopsis, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought the story was going to go one way, like the whole arc was going to be, you know, a certain way. And then when I started reading it and that really grabbed me is that like early on, it took a completely different direction that I, (laughs) than I expected. And I was like, okay. And that, grabbed me right away and it was interesting to see how the characters developed from there you know even how their relationships changed throughout Mm -hmm. i mean they're still very close but they all have 
different ideas. And I thought that was a very, very good move. Because like I said, I thought the, I thought it was going to go a whole complete different direction. And I did not see it coming. Oh, that's awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah, I think that, that, that uh, I have the tendency to... That's probably why my books are so short. It's like I start in the middle of the book. You know, um, Foster Homes and Flies, the mom's dead already. Uh, and you find out in a couple pages that, that she is. You know, I don't have this long relationship uh, with them or everything. I just kind of start, you know, and the same with the pale white. You know, I, I don't have 200 pages of them being stuck in the house and, and going through all these horrendous things, uh, which I was never going to put in there anyway. I, I'm, I'm not trying to trigger anybody. Um, uh, I, I mean... I know that there are going to be uh, women and, and men who are reading this who have been through some form of sexual trauma, and I'm, I never set out to uh, exploit that or, or anything. So there is, uh, you know, stuff. There's, I mean, there's statements. There's uncomfortable sentences and things like that. And uh, But I tried to handle it uh, with as much tact but still have it. Um, you know, still to where the reader knows what they've been going through, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I, I definitely got that impression. Like you did a great job of balancing that, you know, capturing the horrific stuff they went through Thanks. without, you know, necessarily, you know, focusing too much on it or, you know, trying to like exploit that. I felt you did a good job of handling that. And it's interesting because that kind of ties into stirring the sheets. When I first read that, as I said, that was my introduction to your work. And when I read the synopsis, like I didn't have any preconceived notions. Yeah. But the story as a whole, it ended up it really affecting me. I can't really pinpoint the exact reason, but that was another story where, you know, a lot of people could have been, could have taken it and, you know, thought like, you know, wow, why would he write something like that? Like it very easily could have kind of veered off the rails, but you did a great job of balancing that in that book as well. Thanks. Again, uh, you know, I wasn't out to, uh, I'm not an extreme writer. I mean, I've written some extreme stuff for some anthologies I was invited to, but it's not really, it's like not my thing, really. So, uh, you know, and usually if I do do that, I try to add some humor and, you know, being as gross as I can get doesn't bother me. But, you know, I like to write, you know, I'm a big fan of like indie dramas and stuff that just gut punches you. and, And at the end, you're just like, wow, you know. And so it didn't make sense to me to have this necrophilia fest um, where this guy is just, I'm sure, you know, there are books out there like there where this guy's just, you know, screwing this corpse all the time or something. And, and I know that people thought that maybe that's what they were getting into. And I know initially there were some people that stayed away from it initially. And then we're glad that they read it uh, because it's not, <laughs> it's, it's far cry from, from what it is. Yeah. You know, and same with the pale white. I, I would, and I anticipate people maybe staying away from it, thinking that it's going to be uh, uh, a little bit more explicit than it actually is. But I mean, we can use our imagination, and and I put enough in there to, you know, help you push you in that direction. I just don't, you know, like I said, I'm not that type of writer to. Uh, it's it, it's hard for. I think it's hard to get that. Uh, emotional investment while you're writing or while you're reading a really explicit like rape scene uh, with a a little girl or something. I just don't, it it, it would ruin the book just like it would ruin the book. If, if, uh, if that kind of stuff, if all the necrophilia stuff happened and stirring the sheets, it would be a completely different book and it wouldn't have the impact that, that that I was hoping to give. Yeah, it's not it's not the story. It's just an aspect of the story, um, and yeah. a thing that helps shape your characters. Exactly. Which is, I think, the important thing about all of your books that that um, speaks to that you know emotion and humanity that I spoke of a little bit ago is um, your approach to character characterization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you t- talk about that a little bit? Do you have a uh, have 
um, a philosophical approach to character development, or? Uh, I mean, not really. I, I, I think that a lot of the characters um, aren't even there when I start, first start writing. Especially if it's something like Skullface Boy. I mean, I had one character in mind with nobody else, and then there's a ton of them in there, you know, as he makes his way to California. But there are certain things in, you know, where I try to add, like, life lessons, I guess. Just stuff that maybe, I don't know, that that I've learned along the way, maybe even the hard way. And I just, I think that, I think that, I mean, empathy is super important. And, and it's kind of like my priority when I'm writing a character. If like for stirring the sheets, it was the most important thing about the whole book was that the reader have empathy for uh, Emmett, the protagonist, the old man. Um, Because if they didn't, the book was not going to work out at all. Um, They would just think he was, uh, you know, disgusting and, and everything. So, I don't really have a uh, a philosophy. I, I I think that I'm I'm what I consider like a hyper empathetic person. If if I hear about something happening to someone, even in my own town, that I of somebody I don't even know, um, it really affects me. Uh, I, I um, this is going to sound really grim, but. A couple of years ago, uh, this is just an example. A couple of years ago, I, I read somewhere online or heard or someone told me that, that a man had accidentally run over his granddaughter with a lawnmower, a rider lawnmower. And that affected me like profoundly for like a week or two, you know, and I, I just picture it. I, I picture the, the screaming and the crying and all of the stuff that the, that the, the old man is going to have to go through his whole life just from this freak accident. You know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but that kind of thing affects me so profoundly that when I write, I, I, I guess it's easier for me to try to kind of put myself in their shoes. So for like writing Emmett and stirring the sheets, you know, after he lo- lost his wife for, you know, nearly it's like five decades, um, I've been with my wife for almost 30 years and I can't imagine having to go through something like that. I mean, I have, I have experienced loss before. Um, that was, that was, uh, not a good time, but, uh, that would be like next level stuff, you know, being with a a woman for 30 years or 40, 50 years and then losing her and then having to try to move on. And I guess it's kind of a blessing and a curse that I, can so easily put myself into someone's shoes that might be going through that. I hate it because it it makes me dwell on it. <laughs> but I, I think that the blessing part of it is that I'm able to, um, like if I wasn't writing at all, then it would just suck all the time. But if uh, now that I'm, you know, I, I write, it, it, I guess it helps, if that makes any sense. Yeah, maybe that's why yeah. we write. Because, I mean, I tend to be the same way. I'm a hyper, hyper empathetic person. And um, when I when I'm not writing all the time, because I do go through long periods, um, it's it's kind of fucked up. Yeah, because it's kind of like you like you say, you dwell on it. And for like for me, I'm an anxious person anyway. So it makes me paranoid, too. You know, (laughs) yeah, I, I think that outlet is super important. Yeah. I, 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 the, my day job, I'm a uh, medical language specialist and I type doctor reports and stuff and, and I only do it part time and then the rest of the time I, I, I write. But there's a lot of, you know, reports and stuff that I do and I constantly think, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be doing a report and it's really kind of not, it's like they're almost like depressing. And then I start thinking how this poor person, what they must be going through, they had this stroke and they're dealing with this. And it's just like, I dissect it way too much. And I, I just think about it, uh, uh, way too much. So I do that when I write everything. Um, and, and, uh, I, I, it, it comes because of being so empathetic toward all these other stuff, I guess it comes naturally sort of, but it also, it sucks. <laughs> 
How interesting, though, that that job um, seems like it's perfectly suited to a horror writer. Cause... Um, it, yeah, well, I mean, for the most part, it's boring. I think for the last couple of years, the, the account that I've been on is just physical therapy and occupational therapy stuff. So it's, it's a lot of ah. older people who have gone through through car accidents or strokes or fallen down. Or had, but you know, but once in a while there'll be a young person that has had a car accident, or or recently a, um, someone uh, had shot themselves in the head, um, and uh, you know they would ha- they had to go through you know physical and occupational therapy. But I did have um, an account one time that was a child psychologist, and that one was uh, not only depressing, but it was. Uh, I mean, yeah, that that would be ideal, I guess, for a horror writer. Uh, some of the stuff that these kids were going through, um, you know, being abused and then going schizophrenic or suicidal at, you know, at 11 years old or something like that. And some of the st- things they were seeing, hearing or saying uh, that was that was pretty hardcore. It was I got paid a lot for that account, but I'm also kind of glad that I don't have to do that anymore. The, yeah, the, that's the doc- kind of horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It, it, it was, uh, uh, um, yeah, like I said, it was kind of, it was interesting, too, because also because it was different than, you know, this patient coming in and they're doing physical therapy and they're taking this medication and they're, you know, all the vital signs and all that stuff. This was like a, you know, a sit down, like, counseling session. So each report was, you know, had like, uh, you know, it was completely different than than the next, so it, it made for kind of a, a less mechanical way of you know working and kind of you know lent my ear more to be interested in in what each case was, but at the same time, the fact that these were kids and some of the uh, crazy stuff that they had been through um, was uh, not fun to to really listen to. Interesting, but uh, sad. Very sad. Um, yeah, exceptionally sad. I can't even imagine. I don't know. I'm. I might be too emotional of a person to do a job like that. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm almost too emotional to sit in a doctor's office half the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I'm thankful for the job, but I at the same time I don't like doing it because um, it's you know I'm getting older and I have the you know body pains and stuff like that, and I'm hearing about all this stuff that could happen to me or may happen to me, and it's just this constant reminder: all these diagnoses that that these people who are getting older are going through, and it's like it just just constant reminder, and I'm typing it all out, and I just like don't want to hear about it. You know, I can write about it, <laughs> fictional, but I don't want to hear about these real people going through these hard times. Oh, you won't believe the shit you're going to go through, brother. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting up there, so I'm, I'm starting to feel it. Yeah, I am a little bit, too. 54 years old, I'm not exactly ancient, but I'm old enough that my bones know I'm 54. Yeah. You, you, got, me by, you got me by a handful of years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I figured from the from the way you talk, I'm not too far ahead of you, but, I went, but several. Anyway, um, moving on from how depressingly old I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a question I like to ask people. Um, it uh-huh. usually results in interesting answers. Um, what's your favorite book of yours? Oh, uh, man. And I'm going to follow that with why, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know that is there anybody that just is able to spit out an answer right away? Only Josh Mailerman. Only Josh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's probably a book that's not even published, too, huh? Um, yeah, the one that he thought it was his favorite absolutely hasn't been yeah. published yet. One of and the 80. Yeah, and it's an early one. <laughs> exactly. He's got so many books written, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. I can see that coming from someone like Josh. His, his, his mind seems to kind of work a mile a minute. Um, I, you know, that's the... 
how many how many people have answered where uh with the the whole um they're like my children and i can't pick one <laughs> um a good a good number of them the majority yeah. of them have answered was something quite similar to that I, I can i can give you this answer i guess um my my favorite book i i have the ones that were the most fun to write and that mean the most to me personally and then i have like the one that I feel is like more like the gateway. Like I think of Fostrums and Flies is like the gateway. Like if you haven't read me before and you're wanting to know um, where you should start a Fostrums and Flies, I, I think it's a, is a good gateway one. Um, the ones that I had the most fun writing were Skullface Boy and The Same Deep Water as You. The Same Deep Water as You because about 90% of that happened it's uh almost all autobiographical so i didn't market it like that it was kind of an experiment it was just going to be this kind of gritty coming of age thing and then i added a little bit more drama for the but for the most part it it all happened and um so that was fun because i was able to just kind of reflect on a, a year in my life and write it out in like you know with prose and so that was a ton of fun. And then Skullface Boy was just an absolute blast because some of the characters were just so quirky and the whole idea. Um, and then, you know, the road trip thing. And, and um, I, I mean, I could have written uh, another 100,000 pages to that book because uh, it was just it was such an easy write. But I didn't want to kind of overstay my welcome. I, I wanted to, you know, I'd rather it be too short than too long. Um, yeah, um, I but I, I don't know that. I mean, I can tell you probably my least favorite is Wallflower just because it um, I mean, I like it, but it doesn't like we talked about earlier. It doesn't have that hope at the end. And so it's it, it's kind of not a good memory. Um, uh, Stirring the Sheets wasn't fun to write at all because of the headspace of being, you know, the thought of losing my wife and, and how I would feel and all that kind of stuff. It was a joy to have to be done with. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I haven't read that one yet just for that very reason. I'm not sure I'm ready to deal with that. Uh, Cause I've been with my wife for several decades too. Mm -hmm. And that's just unfathomable to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can't imagine dealing with that. Like you say, I, I, I've had loss in my life. Yeah. I've yeah. lost people, but that I've never lost anybody that would affect me that way. I, I've been through some extreme loss, but uh, like I said, not not someone that I have invested 30 years of my life, you know, with. Yeah. So, but it, I, I, uh, I guess if I had to choose one maybe Skullface boy but it would be one of the last books that i would hand somebody and say here read this is what i write interesting uh, yeah i i don't know i like the way that it's written in vignette vignettes some of the chapters are extremely short um and i don't know when i pick it up i don't like to reread my own stuff because i know i'll find stuff that i want to change or something uh -huh. and and so i don't but sometimes i pick that up and i and I, I read it and i just get entertained by it um but again man dude that's a hard question you know it's kind of interesting though your answer um kind of kind of modified the whole question for me because i like the answer to um what was your favorite book to write more so than i do what was your favorite book yeah so I mean that that's a much more interesting line of of inquiry I think, not so you know. Plus there there are it's like this too. Let's say you have a a favorite song. Let's say you like um, Journey's Greatest Hits is your favorite CD, okay? And then you break up with this chick and and, and when you were going out, all you guys did was listen to this Journey's Greatest Hits and it's 1986 or something. That used to be a good record, and now when you put it on. You've got all these uh, kind of like each song has like a negative somatic marker where it's just it brings back these, you know, good memories that are now kind of bad memories. And 
so each each book is kind of like that too you know the headspace of stirring the sheets the bleak ending of wallflower um and then uh um pale white just you know can thinking about uh you know what it must be like to go through something as horrible as the girls in the book so yeah it's kind of like you know there there are memories attached to each one that that make it hard for me to separate my experience with the actual book i guess if that if that hopefully that makes sense um yeah it, it does make sense um i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm communicating with two people right here rich lost his audio he can hear us but he cannot talk to us okay <laughs> bummer so yeah, yeah, hopefully he works that out, but either way, he's got to hang on because he's the one who's recording us. Okay. So he's he is out there, he just can't engage, um, which sucks because he was half of our questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully he'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I hope so, I hope so too, but uh, it doesn't sound hopeful right now. Um you talk a lot on online about music. Um, do you listen to music while you write? Um, I, sometimes I do. Uh, I um, sometimes I, I try to get into. I mean, it depends on what I'm doing. I did do. I did listen to certain types of music, and I made a playlist for the Pale White. I actually posted it um, so that if people wanted to listen to it and and know what i was listening to or even listen to it while they're reading the book or whatever um i listen to uh i i I can't like put something on that i really love a lot um that has any kind of like really good groove to it and then write because i get way too distracted um music I, i i connect on it to such a personal level that it's hard for me to um, you know, I'm listening to all the instruments and the lyrics and the melody and the groove. And, and so sometimes it's a, it's, it's a distraction, just like if, if I read, I can't have music on, but there are certain things like instrumental stuff, like horror movie soundtracks, um, that I can put on. And when I did, when I wrote, uh, uh, the same deep water as you, I listened to mostly exclusively the Cure's Disintegration album because that was the soundtrack for the year of my life for that book. And every time I put that record on, um, I'm like right back there in, you know, 1989, 1990. So, um, so I, yeah, so I just put that on just kind of stay in that headspace, not because, uh, um, you know, I was being entertained or anything, but just because it, it you know, triggered so many memories and just it, it, it was it was cool. But for the most part, not normally because of the distraction, unless I'm going for like a certain tone, I guess. Um, yeah, I can see I can't I can't see like um, personally, I can't listen to music and do anything except mm-hmm. listen to music. It's yeah. Just- hang up i can't even turn on music when i'm driving because i get so distracted by music that everything else goes away you know Mm -hmm. i kind of envy people who can listen to music while they're writing or reading or stuff like that but yeah not a talent i have ever developed yeah and, and i can't i would never be able to i mean i love extreme music you know like thrash and hardcore and crossover stuff love it um punk rock but those are genres i cannot uh listen to while i'm while i'm writing for sure no those are you just named a bunch of genres that are my go-to genres generally um but yeah i couldn't listen to those and even go to the bathroom i don't think (laughs) (laughs) so um where do we go from here where where are you going from here do you have uh, anything exciting in the works you want to talk about um yeah i got a couple things i'm <clears throat> finishing up a crime noir thing called the neon owl it's uh i'm gonna i hope to put three books out but they're all standalones um so there's i'm not gonna have any cliffhangers or anything so 
it's not like you need to wait for the whole series to come out. Kind of like what Lansdale did with Happen Leonard, you know? Right on. Um, you could probably stand to even read them out of order if you like, but you would benefit more by reading, you know, the first book, second, third. Um, but it's uh, it, it, it's definitely not horror. Um, it's got humor in it, uh, but it is gritty. Um, and uh, I've been posting that on my Patreon page. Every couple of weeks I'll post two or three chapters on there. I think there's, you know, 25,000 words or so up up there right now I, I don't know how long the book is going to be i don't know if it's going to be a, a novel or what but i'm in the process of finishing that up and then uh john Bowden and i are, are working on our second book together and we wanted it to be out in october but we got busy uh, with other stuff and then i got real busy with uh, the pale white and uh, the promotional stuff for that and some other deadlines, some anthology invites and stuff that I had to take care of. And then keeping up on my Patreon page because I like to, you know, put ex- exclusive content in there. And then, um, well, hopefully that'll be out by the, uh, before the end of the year. We're hoping. Cool. And then, and then John spilled the beans recently in an interview that him and I and Bob Ford are writing a book together too. So, and that that's more in the, early stages and i highly doubt that that would be out this year oh but that's exciting as hell to hear that though i can i can't imagine how well the three of you will uh sound together so to speak it's gonna be fun i I think it's gonna fit uh really well Uh, it's yeah that the hard part is kind of over you know just coming up with the ideas and then that we all kind of agree on and stuff that that tends to be um you know, you know, we, I, I don't think, I don't think Bob does any outlines. I think he's a pantser as well. I know John is, and I certainly am. <clears throat> so we've got the, you know, we've got the seeds there, the ideas, and now it's just time to write. And then what happens happens and it'll be cleaned up along the way. And, and, uh, but yeah, we're, we're all pretty excited about that. Yeah, I am too. Um, I want to ask you about that. Go back to that noir, but first, before mm-hmm. I forget, because I will forget, uh, off the top sure. of your head, what is your Patreon address? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think it's like patreon.com forward slash Chad Lutsky. Ah, okay. Hopefully that's it, but I will look it up and put it in the show notes for anybody listening who wants to look that up and go give Chad some support. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I try yeah. to I try to give as much um, exclusive content as I can and and bonuses and stuff. I just offered the patrons uh, first dibs on any um, signed copies of the Pale White um, if they wanted to purchase, and and pretty much they're gone before I even got a chance to <clears throat> announce it publicly. And so that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. You get good responses to your work, and they're they're actually well deserved responses for the most part. Not I'm Thanks. kidding. Not just for the most part, for the whole part. Thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, now back to the noir thing. That's something we we dwell a lot on, um, and we're we're talking to Laird Barron tomorrow about his Coleridge series and some about his horror stuff. Um, and it excites the hell out of me to hear that you're gonna. You, that you're going to put out a noir novel. I think you'll excel at that. Um, but what do you think about the relationship between horror and crime noir? Um, we've observed over and over and over again how well those two genres can mix and match together. And um, where in even in a straight noir, there's going to be some dark grit to that. There's going to be some horrific things that happen. And, I mean, it, horror is almost inherently imbued with that noir spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the idea. And thank God for Joe Lansdale, because uh, if it weren't for him, uh, my writing would probably just be different. Not necessarily like in prose, but just the fact that I feel comfortable. I don't feel like I really genre hop, but but within a, a, a story, you know, like 
um, like the crime noir thing. It's like, yeah, I, I couldn't write just some straightforward kind of like uh, sugary thing. You know, I want to I want to put stuff in there, you know, that's going to maybe make you cringe or, and, and, you know, stuff like that. And and if there somebody gets killed, let's really kill them, you know, and um, body stinking and everything. So and Joe Lansdale does it so well. That's why horror people love love reading his westerns you know it's like it's not it's not common for um some you know a diehard like horror freak to go up and pick a, a western and just fall in love with it but if lansdale wrote it so he's kind of like been this uh, without knowing it he's kind of been uh you know the cheerleader for that for that for me and just knowing that um that you know he kind of paved the way i guess for that kind of thing um in, in in a sense jack ketchum did too because jack doesn't write uh or he dallas didn't write uh, like uh supernatural stuff very much at all more like, like human- one yeah 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 he probably he's done more than that you know because he's written a gazillion short stories yeah, and there, yeah. there are some supernatural elements to his last book that he that he wrote with Lucky McKee, but for the most part, he wasn't really a big fan of it, and he didn't write uh, a lot of that. And um, but and I and I wouldn't consider his stuff like crime noir, but certainly um, his stuff is horrific, and uh, it, it it he's another author that that can show that. The two can, you know, can go together and, and cohabitate, I guess, um, fluently. And uh, yeah, Dallas was uh, really good at making those two mesh like they belong together. Oh, for sure. And if something gritty was going to happen, it was, I mean, it was beyond gritty. It was yeah. like, you know, it was just the words that he chose. It wasn't that it was overly descriptive or anything. It's just that he found the perfect words to just make you your stomach turn to make you and, feel and, it yeah and maybe wish you hadn't have read that sentence uh, <laughs> you know or read it four more times because you just can't believe it but um, um yeah he was so he was so exceptionally good at that yeah for sure and um and man i just i wish he was alive still because i i just i mean i'm so thankful that he has all this work out there but still i i uh everything about the man i just loved so but yeah. Back to the crime noir thing. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I think they do go well together, and I'm just glad that that people are receptive to that kind of thing. You know, like I said with Lansdale, and and um, he makes he's he he kind of I, I feel like he was kind of like this uh, pioneer for saying, hey guys, it's okay to mixed genres here right right and he's even i think he's openly said i think it was him that uh he doesn't like to be shoehorned into a genre he doesn't like someone to call him a horror writer or a crime writer or you know what i mean yeah um and for that very reason because he can write anything that he wants to write and people are gonna read it (laughs) yeah for sure that's why it's often said that that uh, Lansdale is is his own genre. Yeah, that's a good way to put it too. And and Ketchum kind of was too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you named sure. you named you named my two favorite authors there in that answer, which says a lot about why people like your work so much. Because, um, what better, uh, what better examples? What's weird is, uh. Dallas and, and, and both Ketchum and, and Lansdale are in my top three uh, favorite writers of all time. And what's weird is that when I started writing um, or had any kind of interest, I, I think I had only read one Lansdale short story. Um, and while it was good, it wasn't like I remembered his name or anything. And I hadn't read any Ketchum. And, but I knew what I wanted to write and the kind of stuff that I wanted to do and how I wanted to tackle it. And those two guys, um, without even knowing it, kind of like right down to 
the writing process. Like it was, it was kind of like eerily strange, you know, that I, I, I want, I knew what I wanted to write and how I wanted to write. And then I discovered these guys and they were already doing it so much, obviously so much better than, than, than I was doing it or, or trying to do it. And, um, but it's like they were, you know, again, it was like they were there in my corner and, um, it was cool to, and then the more I found out about them, the more I was like, yes, that's how I feel. Or, or that's how I write, you know, like, like Lansdale, when you read something, his, like I just finished uh, paradise sky and you can tell that Joe does outline and you can tell that when he's writing it, he doesn't know where he's going because all this stuff just happens out of nowhere. And I mean, it all makes sense and it all makes this awesome story together, but you can just tell it's not planned because uh, and and that's what I think makes this stuff so good is because he doesn't know where it's going. You, the reader, have no idea where it's what's going to happen either. And I think that um, sometimes that could uh, that could be ruined with uh, outlining, particularly if you're using an outline that's more like a template. Like we need this in the third act here and then we have to have this conflict here and there are certain you know things that you should follow like you you need to have you know some kind of you need to have a conflict you need to have a goal for this for for the protagonist you need to have something someone to root for things like that but some of the stuff is so such so formulaic that um and and lansdale just doesn't uh you know, he doesn't follow those strict rules and it's something that I never wanted to do too. And, and the way, even the right down to the way he, um, you know, he, by the time he's done with the book, it's almost a final draft and that's the exact way. And I just learned this stuff from, you know, from interviews and stuff. And that's the same way that I, uh, write. So it was really interesting and cool to, um, to want to do all that and to already be doing that and then have him and, and, and then who's doing it so much better um, and making it kind of giving me this uh, uh, boost of morale that it's okay. You know, I, I, I can do this, you know, maybe spooky book or this, you know, gory book, the story or whatever. And then I can go off and do this other thing and the crime crime thing. And if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have either even attempted to, um, uh, maybe do some of the stuff that I that I wanted to do, but from day one when I started writing, my main goal was to be able to. Um, I wanted to write what I wanted to write and have the readership follow me, just like Lansdale, uh, McCammon does the same thing, uh, King even does the same thing. You know, King's got stuff like uh, Salem's Lot and The Shining, but then he's also got um, Shawshank Redemption. You know, yeah, Joyland and. Yeah, Colorado stuff that's kid. yeah, yeah. That's, that's not horror at all, but yeah. highly entertaining and some of his best stuff. So, um, and McCammon certainly uh, has done that as well. And so, from day one, that's what I always wanted to do. Is and I don't mean I don't mind being called a, a horror writer, but I normally don't refer to myself like that. Um, I usually just say dark fiction because that's, it's normally just you know it normally is dark, but it it, it I feel like it's more of a broader term you know and it's yeah it's like i define myself as a dark fiction reader not a horror reader same thing right yeah and i i think that you know because sometimes people might think uh you know i've had friends or family and they, they think well i don't like horror you know and 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 it's like uh, maybe i'll try to get them to read a foster homes and flies and i'm like you gotta trust me um you know, it's it's not really horror, but it is. You know, it's hard to without giving anything away. You know, when I when, if I give them to you know, like uh, I remember I was trying to get my sister. She, she's like, I don't really like to read horror, and I was like, Well, it's it's not horror, but it's but the horror people like it, and, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> but it is horror. It's just dark, dark contemporary fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's true of a lot of authors. Like, I mean, you think about if someone asked me if Josh Mailerman was horror. Well, yeah, I guess sort of, but also sort of not really. Mm-hmm. 
You know, um, it's just it's just damn good storytelling that just happens to have those dark elements in it. Yeah, or intense. You know, the Bird Box is a pretty intense book. Yeah. So anything I mean, that kind of. I mean that that second part about the damn good storytelling. I was talking about your stuff, not not Josh's. I've praised Josh enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Well. Happy release day to you. Do you have anything that you would desperate like to speak about before we uh, wrap this up? Uh. I don't think so. It's a bummer that that Rich couldn't hang out with us longer. Yeah, yeah, he got to he got to sit there and listen to us. He's sitting there listening to us now and screaming in our Discord. I so. wanted to, I did want to ask him one time. I think it was him. I'm almost positive and he's not going to be able to answer, but I had posted a a band one time, a rather obscure band, and I swore it was him who made a remark on it and, and knowing the, who the band was and and uh I was going to ask him about that, but but now I can't. So it was I had posted a, a um a song by one of my favorite bands called Grade, and he was a fan of theirs. I swear it's him, and I, I wish I could ask him, but I think it was him. And not many know people know of the band, so that uh, was it, that that always makes me happy when I. He just typed in all caps. It was me. So yeah, that that's the answer. It was okay. Great. It, yeah. Okay. His exact well, words were it was me, god damn this fucking Skype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll tell you more people need to listen to grade. Um I will check them out and uh have like I say happy release day. Um everybody that hasn't read the Pale White or anything Lutsky, um unfuck that. Um and check those show notes for chad's uh patreon address i'll make sure that that's there and uh it was great talking to you chad you too shane and you too rich thanks a lot you guys having me on man all right you guys have a great night we're gonna have you on again i want to have you and bob and uh john on here oh for sure let's do that yeah right on right on cool have a great night chad all right you too